Hi, everyone. I'm Andrea Ferretti, and this is episode nine of Yoga Land. On today's episode, I sit down with my husband, Jason Crandall, and we talk all about yoga injuries. I remember the very first feature that I edited for Yoga Journal many years ago was a feature about injuries. And that's because I had come to work there as a serious yoga practitioner and a young teacher, and I was severely injured. It took me a long time to get over my injuries. So this is a topic that's dear to my heart. And I'm sure if you have a body and you do yoga, it's probably dear to your heart as well. Both Jason and I acknowledge that we can't possibly untangle this complex topic in one episode. So if you have questions, please feel free to contact us. You can find us on Twitter at Yogaland Podcast, or you can comment on the specific episode by going to our website, jasonyoga.com slash podcast, and then just send in a comment. And I will definitely find comments in those two places. Anyway, we do cover a lot of ground today, including how Jason addresses injuries in class, the importance of learning to say, I don't know if you're a teacher and someone approaches you with an injury that you're not familiar with, and also how it can be part of human nature to test your own boundaries and learn your own boundaries by occasionally transgressing those boundaries. So hope you enjoy the episode. So today we're going to talk about injuries. Great. The first question that I have is how can we, how do you teach people the difference between feeling a sensation in their body, perhaps for the first time and feeling sensation that can be potentially injurious? This is always really difficult to do. I mean, it's a really good question. I think I have a a few answers to start to chop away at it, but let me first acknowledge that it's a really difficult question. And I also want to lay in that it's a little bit of a moving target. What might be a tolerable degree of sensation on one day may not be a tolerable degree of sensation on another day. So I think that the main thing that I look at is location. And I've gotten to know the body well enough that when people describe sharp or specific local discomfort in certain regions of the body, I become a little bit more conservative or a little bit less conservative depending on what they're describing. So mainly, think about the knee. If someone says that they have discomfort on the inside of the leg or the front of the leg, I may be less concerned. If someone touches the inside of the knee where the some of the medial ligaments are or the medial meniscuses or the outside where the lateral cartilage is, basically if someone is describing specific local pain that is proximate to a joint, I am more likely to have them back off. Mm. I'll say one more thing, which is that even fairly new yoga students, when they pay attention to their bodies well, they usually know. The body usually has a pretty intuitive sense of what feels inappropriate what feels like it's vulnerable, what feels like it's a discomfort that may be leading to some sort of dysfunction. I'll say one more thing, which is if someone is describing a local pain, 
And then they also described to me that they have had an injury in that area previously and the pain feels like a symptom that they had at some point in their life that had led to a, a greater disturbance. So those are some indicators, but it's hard. It's, it's very difficult to know. Right. And as yoga teachers, I'll, I'll say one more thing, sort of throw this out, which is as yoga teachers, myself including, we're always saying, you know, find your edge, find your edge, back off. But the truth is, is that sometimes we don't know where our edge is and we learn about our own boundaries and we learn about our own edges a lot of times by crossing them. Mm -hmm. You know, most of us don't learn <clears throat> things the easy way. So I often have a conversation with someone. If they're describing a pain, say, you know, how frequent is this? Have you had this before? Has this led to something that has set you back for a period of time? And so to ask them a little bit about their case history and um, whether or not this is a new or a recurring thing can be helpful. Okay. So I have two questions just from what you just said. The first is, and I like vaguely remember this from a, an anatomy column that I worked on with Roger Cole, but if we just take a really, really big step back and a big macro level view in terms of physiology and in terms of, you know, stretching parts of the body, what does the benefit translate to physiologically in terms of going to your edge? Oh man, you, I thought you were going to ask me easy questions. Sorry, I know I just, <laughs> it just came up. I thought this is really fascinating. Um, call Roger Cole. <laughs> <laughs> Roger's really smart. He knows more than I know. Um, okay. So let me tell you, let me tell you what I think the not physiological value is. Okay. But which I think is actually more in relationship to, to yoga, which is that in yoga, we train ourselves to be focused and we train ourselves to not overreact. And in, and in order to train ourselves to be focused and to train ourselves to not overreact, we actually, to some degree, need to go to a threshold. We need to, to some degree, to put ourselves under stress right. so that we can learn to manage the stress. So, and it's like learning to feel discomfort. I think there's an inherent, I mean, not, a, you know, not everyone is going to agree with this, but the style of yoga that I practice and the way that I use my body, there is a certain amount of discomfort that I find valuable and pleasing that we use, you know, that I think that it helps me to find discomfort not discomfort, but you know what I mean. To I, I actually mean, I actually do physical comfort. I mean, it's like, well, you were saying stress and I put discomfort into yeah, your mouth. So I say discomfort because I think you can then translate that into withstanding uncomfortable situations in your life and right. not reacting. Right. So right? I think a, I think a point to make here is resilience mm. and how important developing resilience is. And you can only develop resilience in demanding scenarios or at least demanding scenarios expedite the resilience making process. Mm -hmm. So when you come to your edge, and that's the sort of what was brought up earlier, when you come to your edge and you notice your tendency to overreact, or let me say for me, when I get to my edge, my mind starts to spin out my tendency is to pull back. My tendency is to mentally overreact. My tendency to this day is to hold my breath 
my tendency to this day is to get a little bit scared. And then I actually pause and I realize I'm okay that I'm in familiar, that I'm just in unfamiliar territory, that there is a demand that is implicit. And I don't want to be cavalier here. I don't want to say that I've never hurt myself practicing yoga, but I think that being at my edge has, has helped me see how I respond to a difficult physical situation. And it's helped me redefine or redevelop how I react. So I can see that I'm holding my breath and that reminds me to breathe. I can see my mind starting to spin out and cascade. And that reminds me that that's just my mind's habit. And then I can step back and then I can actually calm my mind. And so to me, that's, that's the real resilience boosting layer. And for me, I am more or less required to get to a physical threshold in order to to train my reactions to be more focused and more skillful. I actually have to get to that threshold to, to get that training. Mm-hmm. Um, so years ago, I, I went to class with you, actually. I went to Rodney Yee's class. And I remember um, I was coming out of a long period of having probably the worst injuries that I sustained in, in yoga, which were sacroiliac injuries. And I remember him saying something to the effect of, have I had injuries? I don't know. I've had pains in my body. I've worked through them. I haven't obsessed about them. I haven't had them diagnosed. I've just used my practice to kind of work through them. And I remember thinking like, wow, that's an amazing approach because Mm -hmm. I had enlisted every chiropractor, every acupuncturist, every cranial sacral person, like in the five, you know, seven square mile area of San Francisco to try to figure out my injuries. And eventually I just kind of learned I think eventually I just simply learned how to use my body a little bit differently. So how much do you subscribe to one um, approach versus the other? Let's say like Rodney's kind of what he presented in that moment versus what I did. Okay. So two things. One, you said that you you feel like you have a little bit different response to your yoga than you used to, or you, you, um, are better. Maybe you're, you said you're better at navigating the I, pain. I think I said I learned how to use my body. Okay. You learn how to use your body. So I think a point that I wanted, that's right. So I, what I wanted to draw from that when you said that was you've probably just gotten a lot better at reading the signals and paying attention and responding to them. You know, so I don't know that my body's stronger or more flexible or more bulletproof than it ever has been, but I have gotten much better at knowing what I can and can't get away with. And I, can, and I know what parts of my body that I can test. And I know what parts of my body that are very early precursors and where I need to pull back, right? And this, and this only happens over time. So I'm going to get back to this, the thing you were saying about Rodney. But I think that the main way that we learn to stop hurting ourselves is often, there's a couple things, but one is we become skillful enough at understanding what our precursors are, those sort of very early symptoms and those regions of the body that that aren't as forgiving, that are more physiologically reactionary. And we learn, you know what? I need to take the long view. I'm not going to push this. This is my sacroiliac region. And I know that when this thing heats up, it heats up for a long time. And so I need to stop pushing forward at level two 
before it escalates. So that so that's my guess about one of the ways in which you've developed. Now, when you go back, or if I go back and ask your question, I mean, you know, Rodney was my main teacher. I mean, he still is my main teacher, even though I don't take class with him much anymore. And I think that one of the things that draw that drew me to him early on was this conversation that you were having. And this is a way that I think that both Rodney and I, in some ways, are how do I phrase it? A little bit, again, I've always, I've already used the word cavalier, not cavalier, but a little bit, like I just assume that bodies are going to get a little bit banged up and it's okay. And I'm not really afraid of it. Like I'm not afraid of orthopedic things. I'm not really afraid of physical pain. Like I'm afraid of disease. I'm afraid of emotional pain, but I'm not really afraid of physical pain. And so when I experience physical pain, I experience more of a nuisance than anything else. And I'm not likely to hurry to go somewhere or someone to try to resolve that. Now, that doesn't mean that I'm advocating that. But in terms of a personality type thing, it's sort of like, oh, man, that really hurt. Uh, That's going to stick with me for a bit, but I'm going to get through it and it'll be fine. And and. I don't really feel like I need to go get it patched up because it's just the body having a little bump or bruise and and we'll move on from there. Yeah, maybe actually you you're right. I mean, maybe the example that I gave is really just the two poles of personality response and we all kind of fall on that spectrum. Like I kind of went to the I want to check everything out, I want to try everything, I want to and he was on the other end of the spectrum. I mean, I think the other thing that healed me just to throw this out there was that I simply that I learned better alignment in forward bends. Yeah, for period. sure. <laughs> I mean, well, that goes to my like point earlier. It's just like as simple as that. But that goes to my point earlier is that we don't learn. We don't learn the easy way. I mean, who learns the easy way? You know, and knowing your edge. I mean, I don't know anyone that, that has learned where their edge is without transgressing it. Yeah. You know, and this is part of, it's part of maturing. You know, I'm not advocating that we have injuries, but I think that I actually, on a panel, I remember being on a panel with, with uh, not on a panel, I was hosting a panel with Baxter Bell, Matias Roddy, and Stephanie Snyder. And I said to all three of them, because everyone was talking about injury management, and I said, okay, here's my final question. Do you all think that an injury-free yoga practice for a lifetime is possible? Because we've been talking all afternoon about how to avoid injuries or how to manage injuries. Well, do you really think that you can have a body and do a yoga practice and not injure yourselves? And every single one of them said, no, no. At some point. Was William Broad in the room? No. <laughs> I wish he was. But so, so I'm not, again, I don't want to be overly, you know, dismissive of injuries. Obviously, they're really big. We want to manage them, but and we want to minimize them, but we're not going to completely avoid them. Whether we're doing yoga or not doing yoga, we're, we have a body and it's going to go through stuff. And when you go through stuff in the yoga room, you, you learn about thresholds. So for me as a teacher, the main thing I want to help people do is limit re-injuries. You know, it's, it, to me, it's, it's when we keep pulling the same hamstring or we keep aggravating the same shoulder bursitis or we keep doing the same sacroiliac lumbar or sacro-lumbar or sacroiliac stuff because we keep not getting the message 
you know, we keep doing ignoring the our thing. body's message. You mean? Yeah. Yeah. And we keep not responding to it. Yeah. Yeah. So yes, there is that point of view that, and I subscribe to it because of my own personal experience that a certain amount of injury can be a really great teacher. Cause it, it might as well be, it's unavoidable. Right. I right. think. Yes. Yeah. So as a teacher, when, when you, before you start your class, wherever you go and uh-huh. teach, I'm pretty sure you don't ask people to tell you one by one about their injuries. That's right. I That's do not, not solicit people's injuries. No. So why is that? Because I, I've learned this a long time ago, which is even doctors don't doctor in a group setting. It's not the time. It's not the place. It's not appropriate. And I don't want to give people the false security that they've told me. And so I somehow remember it in a group of 50 people. And then I can somehow respond to it in a group of 50 people. And so what I always do is instead of asking people, hey, do you have injuries, blah, 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 blah. I say, listen, a lot of you are new. So especially when I'm on the road, right? I say, most of you are new faces to me. And so let me say a couple words about injuries. If you have any existing injuries, don't tell me about them. If you have any discomforts that come up throughout the course of the practice, don't tell me about them. Back off, listen to your body, take note, and then come up to me after class. And then let me see what postures you're having your difficulty in. And then let me work with you one-on-one for a moment to see if we can help resolve your discomforts. So I want to throw that injury conversation back to them and just say, you know what? Well, listen, this, this is something that happened to me for, like I had this realization for years and years and years and years and years, I would ask people if they had injuries and people would tell me their injuries and I would say, okay, well, you know, if anything hurts back off, you know, and then I would be in everyone else's classes and they do the same thing. And the most amount of information that came out was my back hurts. Okay. Bend your knees and forward bends. So the point I started to realize is like, if the thing that we're going to do after we ask someone in a group setting to divulge an injury, if the thing we're going to do is say, okay, well, if something hurts back off, then we don't actually need to ask the question. Yeah. We need to give the advice and then say, you know, so that people well, feel it gives really, them responsibility. It too. gives them responsibility. And it also, to me, I hope I make it clear to them by, but by, by me saying, Hey, If you have an injury or anything we do that's uncomfortable, back off. To me, it's giving them permission. And I think that that's oftentimes what people want. Like when someone tells me they have an injury, I think that oftentimes they're telling me because not necessarily that they're trying to solicit my advice, but because they want me to know or they want permission to be able to not do something that hurts. Totally. So I want to provide, I want to provide that permission right off the bat without actually asking someone a personal question and then follow up and say, if you have more thoughts, anything that we did after class, come get me because I want to be able to help people with their discomfort. I want to help them resolve their discomforts to the degree that we can. But I think it has to be done in a private, in a semi-private setting. 
And yeah, I would rather do it after class for sure. Mm -hmm. said that people who are naturally more flexible tend actually to get more injured than, than people who are tighter um, because they can kind of go more deeply into the poses without necessarily feeling the sensation. And then afterward, they might be injured. I have had that experience in terms of having yoga teachers give me physical adjustments. Mm-hmm. So, so much so to that I'm pretty much at the point where I do not want anyone to put their hands on me in the Fair enough. Class. What is your philosophy about manual adjustments and, and what kind of approach do you teach your teachers? I think there's two things here. And I can't go to manual adjustments without addressing the comment that you made about does someone with more natural range of motion, are they at greater risk for injuries And I don't know. I don't know. I just don't know. Like, I I will say this. I will say that I think that the vast majority, and this is not a doctor talking, this is totally anecdotal evidence. So listeners take this with a grain of salt. Anecdotally, I see that the vast majority of injuries that that happen in yoga are overreach, overstretch issues. They're, they they occur because essentially one part of the body has gone too far relative to another part and produced excessive tension or produced excessive compression. And so I think that in general, whether or not someone has more natural laxity or whether or not someone has less natural laxity, I think that the yoga world will be better off if we aren't overly celebrating flexibility and trying to push ourselves further and further and further in pose. Like there's a certain phase of a pose for any given body. That's just diminishing returns. You know, there's just a, there's a degree of motion or depth or intensity that I don't think that there is increasing value. From. Absolutely. Okay. So that being said, I actually have a very straightforward and I think pretty unique focus on manual adjustments, which is that I, and this is sort of, this is, I wish we were doing this visually, but we're not, we're here. So this will work. Um, I don't want teachers that I train to do a deepening adjustment that puts additional weight, torque, or leverage on the part of the body that is moving in the posture. So like, let's, I want, so there's a second. So I don't want leverage being placed on the moving part of a pose. What I want is I want teachers to produce, to give greater stabilization and grounding to the parts of the body that are not moving in a pose so that the moving part can free up to move more on its own. So you don't move the moving thing more. And I'll give you an example. You don't move the moving thing anymore you stabilize the stable parts in order to free the movable part more. Hmm. So an example would be Upavishta, wide-legged seated forward fold. 
or really any seated forward fold, but let's say wide-legged forward fold because that's a pretty good easy one. I don't really want students to, I don't want teacher trainees or teachers or anyone given an adjustment. I don't really want them to press on the sacrum. I don't want them to press on the pelvis. And I don't want them to press on the, the thorax, the ribs, or the spine. Those are the moving parts. If you're in a wide-legged seating forward fold, your legs are stable and you're, rot you're doing anterior tilt of the pelvis. You're rotating the pelvis forward. So the legs are the stable part. The main movement is coming from the pelvis and the spine. So I don't want people to add torque or weight to the pelvis. I want them to add weight and groundness to the thighs. And what that does is that helps the person release the pelvis and spine further into the pose without it being pressed further in the pose. And physiologically, there's a big difference. Hmm. There's a big difference when you when your body lets go and you release further forward as opposed to you are taken further forward. Mm -hmm. And if you think, I mean, I say this to people all the time when I'm teaching trainings, because we do a bunch of manual adjustment stuff. And, and, uh, and I say to them, I say, look, why does your student stop when they stop in a pose? And the answer is always the same. They stop when they stop in a pose because they're listening to their body, which is something we've been telling them to do, right? I stop in a forward bend because my hamstrings, my lower back, and my adductors have, had said, have, have said, thanks, that's enough. That's why I stop. So I don't need any more leverage pressing me further into the pose. I need greater stabilization in order to relax the motion and allow it to increase if it's going to increase. And one more thing about this, which is I always ask when I am teaching manual adjustments, trainings, whether they're online, whether they're in the room, whether they're part of my trainings, whatever they are, I say, raise your hand if you have been injured while receiving an adjustment. And I'm telling you every time, at least 40 to 70% of the room raises their hand. Oh, I would think and so And that for is sure. too much. Mm -hmm. It's because people are being taken too far and range of motion. It's like moth to a flame, man. Mm -hmm. You know, people are just so drawn to range of motion. It's mm -hmm. seductive and people just want it until they realize that but you, but you still value um, teaching people to do manual adjustments. So yeah, let's back up even more and, 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 and I want to ask, you know, so what truly is the value? What, what are you? Sure. You know, what is it. the value of, of placing your hands on a student in a yoga class? The value is that yoga is tactile. This is a physical practice. And some people are visual, visual learners. Some people are auditory learners. Like a lot of my students, they're really auditory learners because I mainly leverage my verbal skills. Yeah. I don't demonstrate that much. But there, to me, a good manual adjustment uses hands. This is another really simple, straightforward thing. But a good manual adjustment uses the adjuster's hands to give tactile feedback about what to do in the pose to the person in the pose. So the hands are an extension of the words in a sense. So it's one thing for me to say, ground your thighs. It's another thing for me to take my hands on top of the thighs and 
press them down. Hmm. It's one thing for me to say, press the base of the big toes into the mat. It's another thing for me to take my hand on the base of your big toe and press it down. Mm -hmm. And so I see value. Um, and I sort of feel like I don't, I don't use a ton of manual adjustments. I don't give a ton of manual adjustments, but I also don't want to like categorically rule them, rule them out. I think that they're part of the discipline. I think that they should be used sparingly, but for everyone that's been injured in a manual adjustment, think about all the wonderful, mm -hmm. good things, mm -hmm. you know? And I don't mean this like, I just obviously don't mean this in any inappropriate way, but we, it's also, it's just nice to have contact once in a while. You know, it's nice to, well, they can be incredibly soothing. To yeah, that's exactly right. Yeah, That's exactly right. And they're, and they, when they're, when they're done in a really respectful and skillful way, they're supportive. Mm -hmm. They're that's supportive. True. That's true. Yeah. 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 Thank you for that reminder. Yeah. If you're a new teacher and you're not exactly sure a student comes up to you and asks you a question about something that they're feeling and you have, you don't know yet what's going on. What do you suggest for that teacher? How, to, how, to, how should they respond? Uh, I don't know. You have to say, I don't know. And, you know, I say this all the time and I mean it, I include myself in the statement and I mean it with loving kindness. Yoga students of the world would be shocked to know how much their teachers don't know about how the body works. Look, I mean, 200 hours, 500 hours, 1,000 hours, these are not doctorate level. Well, and not only that, I mean, you and I, having been through the healthcare system in the past yeah. few years, we know how much doctors and surgeons uh, exactly, don't know. Exactly. The body is a mystery. Yeah, the body is a huge mystery, right? And the teachers that are listening, it's not your job to know. It's not your job to know. It's your job to teach yoga. And it's your job to have like a halfway sane head on your shoulders and to default to really important things like, you know, I don't know, but I do know that yoga shouldn't hurt. It's going to be uncomfortable sometimes. It's going to be demanding sometimes, but it shouldn't hurt. So if something we're doing is aggravating that region of your body, Make sure to take a breath and step back. You're in here for the long haul, you know, and I, I will say that there have been people in my teacher training programs who, who are physical therapists, doctors of physical therapy, who are doctors of osteopathy, who are doctors of chiropractic, who, who are doctors and surgeons. And when they're teaching yoga, they don't diagnose they don't give any feedback. Actually, it's all not one of them that I know says at the beginning of class, tell me your injuries. They all say the same thing because they're doctors. They know that they don't have enough information in that setting to confirm or to deny a deny a deny a diagnosis. And so they say the same thing I say, oh, this hurts, back off. Let me see if we can help you with the pose. So if someone comes up to you and says that they have some sort of injury or they've had a surgery or they say something like chondromalacia or they, you know, they give you something that you're just like, whoa, okay, I don't know what that is. <laughs> like, don't feel bad that you don't know. Say that you don't know and then give good, basic, broad advice about practicing yoga in a group. And then you might take it a step further, which is to say, and I do this all the time, which is to say, Okay, 
let me, why don't you show me where the discomfort is and why don't you show me in what poses? And so maybe let me help you see if I can help you do a pose in a way that's not bothersome. Mm. So I, so we don't want to get in the situation of, you know, trying to doctor in that situation. We want to get into the situation of saying, how can I help you relieve this discomfort in the postures that are offensive to your body? And then if we can't figure that out, then, then we just, then we just take them off the map for a while. Right. Right. Yeah. So again, what you're suggesting is that you maintain, you know, the seat of being the a yoga boundary. teacher. You boundary. And you, yeah. And you, um, people definitely really do respect you when you admit that you don't know certain things, sure. right? When you're just clear about that. And you help them if you can by teaching them ways to do the poses that potentially don't hurt. You give them options yeah. that that's a way to approach it. Yeah. You remember that you're here to teach yoga. You're, you, you remember that you're here to provide wellness. You remember that you're here to help the individuals in the room and to adapt yoga to meet their body. And you remember what you don't know. And this, this I think is one of the, there's a very, there's a dangerous, there's sort of a dangerous combination, which is a teacher that is ambitious, insecure, and doesn't know what they don't know. Mm -hmm. Like that combination is a teacher that is going to give feedback based on not really having much information. Because if someone tells you, even if they tell you that they had an ACL repair or an MCL repair or any of this stuff, it's still not that much information. Mm -hmm. And so you just want to, as a new teacher, knowing what you don't know, being honest, that is not only the ethical thing to do, but that's what builds the relationship. You know, exactly what you said. When, when someone says they don't know, you know that they're being honest with you. And we need our teachers to be honest. Yeah, they're more trustworthy. Yeah. What about students? I mean, I think to, to sort of flip it around a little bit, um, you know, you're talking about like teachers who m maybe are insecure or ambitious. But what about when you're in a situation where a student is in pain and kind of desperately wants you to help them? Like, how do you handle that kind of emotional side of a, of a student? Well, for me, it's not that difficult because I'm pretty boundaried mm -hmm. and I'm also, I'm both boundaried, but I can also be obtuse. So I might not actually totally read that someone <laughs> desperately wants the help. You know what I mean? Like I joke with people like, yes, I've taught yoga for 20 years. Yes, I'm fairly sensitive, but I'm still a guy <laughs> and I misread <laughs> situations all the time. <laughs> So, I mean, I will do everything that I can do to help someone manage the discomforts that are arising in yoga. So again, if someone really wants me to help them with their wrist, I'm not going to provide physical therapy for their wrist because I can't, because that's not my job. But I can work with them as long as I can work with them to say, you know what, let's keep figuring out the poses that are agitating your wrist and then let's keep taking a few minutes after each class and trying to experiment a little bit with those poses to see if there's a different way we can do them. And if there isn't a different way we can do them, what are the best substitutions for them? And this might take a little while, but we have to help you not re-injure your wrist as you're doing yoga. 
Yeah. Th- that's where we, that's where we have to start. Mm-hmm. And then if and then I would say if someone is, you know, it wants more help than that, I I guess I just sort of shut it down and say I I can't help. Mm-hmm. You mm-hmm. know, I also you know I say this to people all the time too, and I preface it by saying this. Okay, I'm going to tell you something. Don't freak out. <laughs> you might want to see a doctor about this. Mm-hmm. Right. You really might want to see a doctor about this. You might want to go see a physical therapist. You know, right. go, go get this, go get this checked out. What I find too, is that by encouraging someone to see a professional, I mean, one that's going to say it often scares them, you know, um, but by encouraging someone to see a professional, it, I'm not just doing the due diligence of saving myself. I know that when someone and goes and gets an x-ray or someone goes and gets an MRI or someone goes and works with the physical therapist and gets a full workup, like an actual full workup, then they can come back to me and they can give me a little bit more information or they can say, you know, we ruled everything out. Or they can say, you know what? My physical therapist thinks it's this. And so I'm working on X, Y, and Z. And so I say, oh, great. Tell me what your physical therapist is having you do. We'll adopt that in the yoga room. And then tell me what the physical therapist is telling you not to do based on your actual evaluation. And then we'll we'll pull that out. Mm-hmm. So if I can encourage people to see professionals and then get looped in based on that feedback, then that helps me help them and translate that content yeah, becoming a little into team, the yoga for sure a team which for is, sure which is how most medicine is i always say bring me bring me your pt sheets let me look at your pt sheets uh-huh. and then and i'll be like oh okay okay don't you know what i'm looking at your pt sheets don't do reverse namaskar today mm-hmm. don't do any of that stuff instead do garudasana today mm-hmm. you know or whatever because you can see from a sheet what you're having to do and what they're having to not do mm-hmm. and yeah i'm curious as yoga's gotten more popular you know just it's just exploded are there any injuries that you're seeing are more and more common that you wish we could just that you know that are due to some poor alignment issues that you wish we could eradicate i don't know if i'm seeing more or difference but i think the really common ones uh, shoulder from chaturanga. Uh, I don't want to or reduce to it just to okay. chaturanga. Yeah. I think okay. it's in part how people are taking their arms over their head, mm. but that's a that's gonna that's a whole nother conversation Alexandria that we can have. Alexandria, and you yeah. should talk about that. Yeah. Um. So, anyways, but rotator cuff stuff, probably even more more than rotator cuff stuff, bursitis, impingement, shoulder impingement, sacral lumbar, so generalized lower back, sacroiliac. Discomfort is really, really common. And then medial in inner knee stuff. I think that's the most common stuff. I feel like you said something about labrum recently. Oh, so hip labrum. The, the shoulders have labrums and okay. hips have labrums. Right. You can harass the labrum of your shoulder without a doubt, especially in vinyasa-based yoga. Now, I teach vinyasa-based yoga, so I'm not taking a shot at it. But you can harass your labrum, your shoulder labrum in vinyasa-based yoga for sure because – I wouldn't say just chaturanga, but all the load that gets transmitted through the shoulder joint and all the demand. But the hip labrum stuff and the one of the more common, relatively new diagnoses is FAI, 
femoral acetabular impingement. That sounds scary. Well, <laughs> I mean, it probably sounds scarier than it is. Yeah. So it would be one of these things. So let's say a student came up to you. Okay. This is a perfect example to use this example. Let's say someone comes up to you. You're a teacher. You're new at teaching or you're not new at teaching. You know what I mean? There's plenty of things. I still don't know. People still will ask me questions about the body that I have no idea. Uh-huh. Right. I mean, I joke with you that my mom asked me questions about <laughs> her dog's injuries. <laughs> You know, but it's an example that people think yoga teachers know everything about bodies and we don't. Right. And I actually know what I don't know. Anyways, let's say if someone comes up to you and says that they have FAI or femoral acetabular impingement, you can look at them and say, I'm not sure what that is. What is that? Oh, okay. That's an, that's an impingement of the femur against the acetabulum. Mm. So the head of the thigh bone against the dish that it lives in. I said, oh, okay, well, when do you feel that? You know, because again, to me, it's, you don't, someone saying that they have FAI is not giving you in a yoga context, anything that you can work with or not work with. So when do I feel that? Oh, I mainly feel that when my hip is in deep flexion. So I feel it in child's pose. I feel it in happy baby pose. I feel it in the front hip in deep lunges. When I'm really aggravated, I might even feel it in Pachimottanasana. I feel it in the front hip in pigeon. Oh, do you feel it in in the like front buttock area in pigeon? No, in the hip crease. Mm. So they're all describing they're getting pain on the front of the hip crease and in the groin in these deep forward flexion poses. Then at that point, you start to say to them, okay, well, we need to back you out of all of these poses. You know, what is the degree that you can go into a lunge? Does it hurt here? Does it hurt here? Does it hurt here? How much do we need to back you out of all of these poses in order to minimize the the recurrence or the inflammation response? Yeah. There, we just went deep on... FAI. There you go. There you have <laughs> but, it. But point is, it's like you got to take it to the, you have to take it to the yoga. You have to, don't worry about the name. Don't worry about the situation. Figure out where is the, the discomfort and when is it happening and play around a little bit with, with, with different degrees of alignment and different degrees of intensity until the symptoms diminish. Right. And then almost always there's a therapeutic effect. Mm-hmm. So I don't, for me, ever say that I teach therapeutic yoga because I know that yoga is inherently therapeutic. And so if I teach just good yoga that is that is adapted to what people need and minimizes symptoms, despite the fact that, you know, at the beginning of the podcast, I said, look, we're going to, we're going to ding ourselves up once in a while anyways. But I think if we teach really good yoga and we help people minimize the occurrences of local inflammation and pain, then there is going to be inherently a therapeutic process. Yeah. Yeah. And I think just, um, the last thing that I want to say, um, and is just, I think that when you go through an injury, oftentimes you want to perhaps do a pose so badly. And when you learn that that pose has injured you, you, still want to do that pose. I got it. Right. And so you, that is part of what can contribute to 
the recurrence of injury. And I think what you're saying is, I think what you do is you present people with this option of like, you can still do the pose. Let's figure out how to do the pose in a way that's not going to hurt you. Yeah, It's like a big light bulb. And I think it lends itself to this practice being a practice that has longevity. Yes. And that is what is so crucial. And yeah. I, I, I just hope that as yoga is getting more popular, I hope that people can see that it really can be a lifelong practice if you listen to your body and you take care of yourself. Absolutely. And let me, so let me, let me follow up with just a couple of really quick thoughts. One, I really love sports. I really love contact sports. I like raw, strong physicality. And there's something that I actually totally respect about dedication to a craft and dedication to sacrifice and, and something about sacrificing your body to uh, an endeavor. Like, I understand that. I respect that. I, I get it. But I don't think yoga is the subject in which we do that. You know, it's just not, it just doesn't work well that way. Hmm. You know, the, the payoff that we think that we're going to get from doing the thing that we think we have to do is going to be short term compared to the risk that is involved with it. So for me, like I take on physically risky endeavors. I always have, but I don't really want yoga to be that much of a risk. I don't quite get it. I like, I get working hard, but you saying it's lifelong. And if you think too about sports, my sport background or the other physical things I like to do, there's a shelf life in that, man. There's oh, yeah. a shelf life, yeah. but but the beautiful thing about yoga is that we can continue to adapt it if we play the long view and we can be physical to the degree that we can be physical in this discipline for a really long time. Absolutely. And this is part of the growth curve. It's part of the maturing curve. And, and the bottom final line, and this is a huge point, and it's not always easy for me, which is, you know, a lot of times in yoga, we want to use our body to do the pose. And at some point, we have to stop doing that. And at some point, we have to say, uh, I'm using the pose to understand my body. Mm. And, and there's a little bit of both. But if you're just using your body to do the pose, then you are going to try to fit a circle into a square long after it's actually served you. Yeah. And it's just, I don't, it's not the most skillful way to do this discipline, but it's a phase for most people, including myself. Yeah, me too. Me yeah. too. Glad to be past it. Glad to use my strap in the Ekapadaraja Kapitasana. Yeah, I don't have a choice on that. <laughs> Me neither. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. Thanks. Thanks for listening. I always love talking to Jason about anything yoga related. I hope you enjoyed the conversation as well and that you learned something from it. As always, thanks for listening. And if you're enjoying the podcast, feel free to leave a review on iTunes. It's so helpful to get the feedback, to know how things are resonating with you. And I look forward to seeing you more on the internet. Thank you.